Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. You've surely seen the memes. Now that we're all staying home, the earth is healing, the skies are clear, the flowers bloom. But the most popular versions of these memes mock this kind of shallow thinking. One of the most viral shows a cow in the ocean. Wow, cows are returning to the sea, the text reads. Nature is healing. We are the virus. Others show dinosaurs returning to Pennsylvania or substitute the Venice canals for the Ohio River. So, is the idea of a healthier planet just another opportunity to be snarky, or is there really a silver lining to our economic slowdown? And joining us today on Earth Day to discuss just that is Jean Ponzi. She's the Earthways Center Program Manager for the Missouri Botanical Garden. She's better known as its planet doctor. Jean, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Happy Earth Day. And happy Earth Day to you as well. So I'm hoping you have some good news for me. Is the Earth seeing an impact from all this sheltering in place that we're currently doing? Well, yeah. And there are climate scientists who are measuring that. And there are, you know, we can see things like no contrails in the sky and uh, quieter. We can hear quieter streets. Of course, there's an impact because there's not as much moving around on the part of humans that's the big thing that has changed. Whether or not there are any lasting impacts, including whether or not any of our behaviors or attitudes or practices or mores change, that remains to be seen. So it really comes down to whether there's any permanent um, changes that come out of this, or as you say, lasting. I guess nothing is, is permanent in your line of work. Well, nothing is permanent kind of in biological life. I would say that changes maybe the big constant there. And uh, Permanent, you know, I, I would look more at systemic change. Mm -hmm. I would look more at process change, changes in the way we look at things and evaluate things. So, for example, not looking, you know, I work from an environmental education and ecological perspective, but I also need to deal with human health factors. I need to deal with economic factors, with people's values. And when those factors interconnect and and relate with each other that's ecology at work from a human standpoint so how we change how we think about things and how we do things there are many many opportunities and a lot of good thinking is happening about that now we you know i don't actually have as much spare time as i thought i would have <laughs> working from home but um some Many people are thinking about this, including myself. And it has been interesting to see, um, you know, how the lack of pollution being caused by um, our cars as we go to and from work or, or go to parties or wherever else we've been driving to, um, people are seeing almost immediate changes in terms of air quality. I mean, that's got to make us all think maybe we don't all need to go to the office all the time. Well, that is one thing that I've seen discussed in, you know, a, a lot of different media, a lot of different venues you know, what will happen with virtual working when we can actually go back and meet with one another and work from an office. Um, for some people, that probably is not going to be very desirable if there are multiple people in your home and mm. you know, they all, they're all, they're playing around or they're jumping on your lap or everybody needs to be on the internet at once. But we are definitely taking a look at and from an ecological viewpoint from a, you know, a policy viewpoint, from many different kinds of human viewpoints at what's happening now, what can we learn from this, and how can we move out of this extreme time into better living, more healthy living, ideally for us 
and for the planet and for all the living communities with whom we share this planet. Hmm. So maybe one small silver lining is that the air pollution has decreased as we're staying at home. At the same time, I keep hearing all these reports about things like gloves and masks and how, you know, proper use involves them being thrown away almost constantly, like so many of these single use items. Do you think we're inadvertently creating one big problem here for future landfills uh, that we're not even thinking about as we admire the clearer skies? Well, Sarah, one of my favorite lines comes from a Tom Waits song, the large print giveth and the fine print taketh away. That is a, a and, great sentiment right there. He's a very it's smart a good man. song, too. It's called Step Right Up. Uh, we, there is medical waste, waste, single-use waste from healthcare, from that industry sector, that is a significant waste stream. And there are good reasons for things that are used in that industry sector and that profession to be used only one time. That's not necessarily the case all around the world. It's clearly not, and and in a very challenging way, not the case for our healthcare professionals here in the US that wear the same mask all day or the same gown all day. Mm -hmm. Whether or not materials can be modified or systems can be developed to have those items be a lower impact kind of material going forward or whether there are any kind of systems that can move them into a beneficial end use. You know, obviously when you have medical waste, you have infectious waste, you don't want to pass anything on that might have been on those items. Those kinds of things are typically incinerated. But think of all the instruments that are used in medicine that are metal that continue to be autoclaved, sterilized, and used over and over and over and over again. Those could have become plastic or they could have become disposable aluminum, but they continue to be reusable. And if we were paying a high cost for disposing of things in landfill, say, then we would have perhaps more of a driver to look at retooling those kinds of materials. But this is not the time to be thinking about that. This is the time to be doing our best effort to protect public health and protect our healthcare workers. And yes, we are sending more things to the landfill right now. Mm -hmm. We're also not driving around as much. And I'm pretty confident that many people who want to use their reusable bags and want to recycle their plastic bags and want to return to those practices once they are sensible and and not, you know, a potential health impact again, we'll do it when we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to encourage you to join this conversation. We're talking to Jean Ponzi, who's the Earthways Center Program Manager for the Missouri Botanical Garden. And if you have a question about how the pandemic is affecting the environment, or maybe you just have a question about how to do right by the Earth on this Earth Day, you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. Or you can email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. You mentioned this thing about the plastic bags, Um, you know, now that stores have banned people bringing in the reusable ones, it felt like that was kind of a movement that was gaining steam. People were starting to recognize how bad these plastic bags were. And here we are right back to this. Do you think maybe instead of this being an opportunity, this is going to be a setback in terms of the environmental movement? I think any any steps in what we might see as a backward direction, I think those are um, interim measures. And the, um, you know, there's plenty of a sector of the public that appreciates reusable 
bags or cutlery or, you know, cups and glasses and things like that, that we'll continue to use those when it makes sense to use them. And I can tell you, Sarah, at the Earthway Center, we're very, um, uh, we're strict with one another and with ourselves. We try to really practice what we preach. And when the um, when COVID-19 was heading our way in the early part of March, we relaxed our vigilance about, say, what kind of cleaning products were used in our building. We and the Missouri Botanical Garden practices green cleaning. At that time, we made the switch to stronger kinds of cleaning products that normally we would not need, would mm. not use, anticipating having to protect public health. And as people are using things like Clorox wipes in their home and, and trying to sterilize surfaces and keep you know serious cooties out of our lives, this is the time to bring out those more intensive things and to use them with good sense. And then we turn to the greener things you know, when we can do those. And in the meantime, I, you know, I want to point out other stuff. Mm -hmm. We're probably cooking more at home. Mm -hmm. The local food movement is burgeoning. The connections that were already in place to help farmers within a certain radius defined as local around our area get their goods, whether that's a uh, plant or animal food produced locally, get those to consumers in the area through farmer's markets or through grocery stores. We're not going to farmer's markets right now, but there are grocery stores that are getting goods from local producers and making those available and doing it in a safe way. I have made some big shifts in my personal shopping in that direction, partly because I, you know, I'm in the age bracket where I don't want to go into the grocery store and be you know, part of the hazard if I can help it. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting things from smaller stores, local stores, and I'm trying out in a way that I hadn't before, making my buying power part of supporting local economies around food. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we can all be doing um, both now and, and going forward, you as you say. You bet. Yes. One of the things I wanted to ask you about today, um, it seemed like um, even before uh, this pandemic and, and what was happening between the U.S. and China, that we were maybe headed for a day of accounting with recycling. So many of us were just throwing away or recycling certain plastics, yeah. thinking that these were going to end up getting reused at some point. And it seemed like news was starting to come out that was completely contradicting that. Um, going forward, do you foresee some big changes to what we think of as being recyclable and what happens to the U.S.'s waste um, after we're getting rid of it? You know, Sarah, the recycling industry was still in the throes of dealing with shifts in that global market. When the um, ban from China and other countries, primarily Asian countries that were taking U.S. exports of recycled materials. When that cracked down at the beginning of 2018, that was a serious change, a systemic change hmm. for the recycling industry. And the industry responded. And here in St. Louis, our local recycling advocates responded by coming out with as clear a single message as we could. Recycle responsibly. Stick with the six because there's six different kinds of items that we can put into our single stream recycling here in St. Louis. And if it's not on the list, not in the bin. 
We worked hard to get a really simple, clear message. There were still exceptions, of course, <laughs> but to get that message out. And at this point, those same materials are still being accepted. They're still being circulated. Exports definitely are down. The value of recycled plastics remained remains pretty depressed. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, fiber, the value of fiber and the demand for recycled fiber has shot up because when China cracked down on recycled, you know, contaminated loads of recycling, domestic producers of paper products started to retool their factories to be able to make more products using recycled material as opposed to virgin stock. So somewhere in the high 90s of percentage of fiber, cardboard, junk mail, magazines, office paper, uh, cereal boxes, that kind of stuff, all that stuff from our recycling bins in St. Louis is going to domestic fiber mills hmm. that are producing, guess what? Toilet paper and stuff like cardboard boxes for delivering stuff to us. Hey, that's great because there's obviously a huge demand for both of those things right yes, now and, and probably ever. Yes, <laughs> Yeah. But when you think about how long it would take a, a paper mill, a paper product producing manufacturing facility to retool to use a different stream of materials than what they were used to, that's a process. That's a systemic change. And what we need to see and what we keep need to keep working on is finding domestic end uses for things that we have systems to recycle and making sure that those dots are better and better connected going forward. Hmm. Well, that's good to see that, that people are moving in that direction. That gives me some hope. Um, and hope is what we all need on this Earth yes. Day. So I know that physical Earth Day gatherings are not happening this year, but the garden still has some opportunities to celebrate. I understand you're still doing the City Nature Challenge, um, yes. but it's a little <laughs> bit different this year. So tell us yeah. how that works uh, in a way that might make sense to somebody who's never even done it before. Sure, Sarah. This is one of a number of um, virtual events, including the nine days of virtual Earth Day celebrations from our Earth Day 365 organization that, that normally puts on a festival. The City Nature Challenge is a global competition among cities to get people out with our smartphones using the app iNaturalist to go out and make observations of plants and critters and take photos or make video recordings or audio recordings. Like if you're listening to frogs, you probably aren't going to see them, but you might get an audio recording. Hmm. Upload those observations into iNaturalist and then iNaturalist, which is the gold standard of biological citizen science, iNaturalist will tell you what you just saw. And if your observation was something that was rare or perhaps endangered or maybe invasive, the mechanisms of iNaturalist will bring in experts in their field, ornithologists or entomologists or geologists. Well, no, those are rocks. You might not be reporting on rocks. <laughs> you, to tell you what you just saw, and you might have a research-grade observation. The four days of City Nature Challenge, which this year are April 26th through 29th, this Friday through this coming Monday, those are days when cities are, quote unquote, competing with each other for the most observations, the most species, the most participants. It's not really a competition this year, although two years ago we blew Chicago, Chicago out of the water and last <laughs> year we were the top performing city in the Midwest. This year, not so much a competition. 
but especially a rich opportunity as people are going outside for the solace and the break and the refreshment and the exercise that we need in this extreme time. The really cool thing though, Sarah, about iNaturalist in our area, beyond the four days of City Nature Challenge, and we have all that stuff on the garden's website, including a link to register so that you can download iNaturalist and little tutorials about how to do it. All year long, any observation made by any person from anywhere, could be a local, could be a visitor from Germany or Mars, anybody who makes an observation using iNaturalist from our greater area, the greater St. Louis area, those observations are configured by GPS to feed citizen science data into a developing atlas of biodiversity data called BiomSTL that is being developed to help guide planning decisions in our communities. How can we better identify and value biodiversity in our area and put that into our planning and living processes? So citizen science is real using iNaturalist and the City Nature Challenge, April 26th through 29th is a great time to, to dive into that and see how fun it is. And then you can continue to do it anytime you want. Okay. And so all that information is on the Missouri Botanical Gardens website. Um, And before we let Jean go, we did also want to mention uh, two other Earth Day related things. One is that St. Louis Public Radio science reporter Eli Chen and engagement producer Lindsay Toller are hosting a discussion this afternoon about how environmental problems and the COVID-19 pandemic intersect. They'll touch on a bunch of different topics and you can join them. That's at 530 today at wwwearthday 360 365.org. Again, www.earthday-365.org. And Jean Ponzi, who was our guest today, will be taking even more questions. That's tonight at 6 p.m. And that's via the Garden's virtual Earth Day event. People can do that at that same uh, web link, which is earthday-365.org and go to Coming Soon. And that'll be tonight at 6 p.m. So Jean Ponzi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah, and thanks to the excellent reporting on environmental issues of the St. Louis Public Radio staff. Well, you're wonderful partners. um, Yes, and I I can't say you're welcome on behalf of myself, but I'm proud to say that on behalf of Eli Chen and and the others working in that area. So thank you very much. Um, And Jean, again, is the Earthways Center Program Manager for the Missouri Botanical Garden. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.